celebrate this great feast of the most holy and holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. A recognition of what we possess in the totality of revelation, the very body, blood, soul, and divinity in Jesus. We do not receive a symbol. Our belief in Jesus' real presence is not just a metaphor. It is the totality of reality of what the Eucharist is, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. If I was to stop eating, not just pasta and pizza, but if I was to stop eating everything, I would die physically. You cannot live without eating. And so it's, it's reasonable to concur that if you do not eat the spiritual food that is necessary for our salvation, we will die spiritually. In the first reading for the book of Exodus, we see very clearly that, G that Moses took the blood of the offering, sprinkled it on the altar representing God, the altar being held up by twelve pillars, and in so doing then, sprinkling the blood on the people, of an, uh, an indication of the fact that they now are part of the family of God. They belong to the blood of God himself. They are his children. But the blood has another significance in covenantal understanding. It is a significance that you and I do not like to think about or even reflect upon. But the blood which is sprinkled on the people in, this, in the first reading is also indicative of what happens to one when they violate the covenant. When they violate the covenant that they are upholding themselves to, they shed their blood. They die. This covenant established at Sinai receives its fulfillment in this morning's gospel that we heard today, the account of the Last Supper, in which Jesus Christ transforms bread and wine into his body and blood, so that not only are we washed in the blood of the covenant, but in the renewal of the covenant, that, was, that God is establishing, we consume the very being of God. We're not just receiving a piece of flesh when we receive the Eucharist. We receive Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. We receive Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, the totality of the resurrected, glorified Jesus. We receive in the smallest particle of the host, all of Jesus is contained. There is misconception in the church today on the understanding of what the Eucharist, what the Eucharist is, which is very, very tragic. It's very tragic because this is the centrality of who and what we are. This is our very life force that we cannot live without. 
And was, uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was a Gallup poll that caused great stir among the church that stated that only 33% of Catholics believed in the real presence. However, that Gallup poll was somewhat misleading in the sense that they call you up and say you're Catholic. Yes, I'm Catholic. You were baptized Catholic. You never darkened the door of a church since then, but you still identify as Catholic. And so it stands to reason if you're not really practicing your faith, you're not going to fully understand what the Eucharist is. So as alarming as that Gallup poll was, that was not as alarming as the last Gallup poll, in which was taken maybe four or five years ago, in which it specifically asked, do you go to church weekly? And then, what, do you, what is your belief of the Eucharist? And only of the number that goes to church every Sunday, only 12% agreed or understood what the Eucharist is. Now that, my brothers and sisters, as a priest, is much more alarming and much more indicative of the fact that in the past 60 years, the understanding and the appreciation of what, what we experience every time we come to Mass has been lost. Part of that comes from an inability from, dare I say, even the clergy and the highest in authority that have the, the entrusted, are entrusted to handing on the deposit of the faith. This past year, in which we experienced a lockdown, in which it was for several weeks, the Eucharist was not available to the lay faithful, is absolutely outrageous. It is outrageous. However, what is even more outrageous is the fact that the lay people, you in the pews, didn't make a ruffle. You just went with the flow, which indicates there is a misconception, a misunderstanding, even in the clergy of what the Eucharist is. And so what we must do in this modern age is bring about a new Eucharistic amazement. A Eucharistic amazement of what and who it is that we receive every time we come to church. But not just who we receive when we come to church. Who is present in this building every time we enter the doors. Jesus is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. The real, physical presence of Jesus. Do you understand what that means? When we talk about the real, physical presence, he is physically, bodily, <coughs> present here in this tabernacle. You must see with the eyes of faith. You see the living Jesus sitting before you, smiling upon you desiring to know more about what's happening in your life, desiring for you to share with him all that you experience and your desire and your need for him. That is, that is who's present here. That is why when we enter this church, we do not just go into our pews like we're going into a theater. That is why we make reverence to the presence of our Lord. We make reverence through genuflection, or we can genuflect a profound bow, acknowledging who it is who is before us. The living God. 
The same Jesus who performed miracles while he walked on this planet. The same Jesus who multiplied bread and fish and has given us the Eucharist is here. It's not an imagination of him. It's not a metaphor of him. It is really, truly him who is present. One of the challenges, though, that we have, my brothers and sisters, is that during the time in the late 60s, early 70s, when they were reevaluating what the Eucharist was really all about, one of the things that got confused or muddled up is the difference between a sacred meal and a meal of fellowship. We know in scripture that Jesus had many meals with sinners. He called sinners to conversion. That is a fellowship meal. That is a meal of calling someone who is away and afar extended from the Lord, bringing them back to him. That is not what the Holy Eucharist or the sacred or the mass is. The mass is not a fellowship meal. The mass is a sacred meal. And so therefore, we must understand and appreciate that when we refer to the mass, as this table fellowship, there are many misconceptions that enter into our experience and to our thinking about that. And that is one of the things that we do is we think that, come one, come all. It's that type of sort of meal. Come as you are. There are no requirements. All that matters is that Jesus is offering this to you. Don't worry about membership. Don't worry about being reconciled to the Lord. Nothing matters. That is not what the Eucharist or the Holy Mass is, my brothers and sisters. That is a misconception and a perversion of the truth which comes from the devil who was the Prince of Lies. This is a sacred meal that has been initiated at the Passover. There were many people in Israel, in the Jerusalem, during the Passover. But it was only the Jewish people who gathered at the table to celebrate the sacred meal. If you were not Jewish, you did not participate in the Passover. The Passover was a meal of family, a family who was striving to reconnect themselves to the covenant that God had established with them, to worship and adore the Lord as was necessary, as was the Lord's desire. This is what the Passover is, and it was at this meal, not a meal of table fellowship in which Jesus gave us the Holy Eucharist. And so therefore, we must concur that the gift of the Holy Eucharist is meant for those who are part of the family. Those who are in the family of God through their baptism, through their unity with us in their belief. Because when the minister or the priest will say, the body of Christ, you are not just saying, I believe that this piece of bread is really Jesus. You're saying much more than that. 
You are saying that I believe in the Catholic Church, and I believe in all the teachings of the Church, and I believe that only through the Church can I receive bread, which is truly the real presence of Jesus. And so therefore, I say yes to the papacy. I say yes to the priesthood. I say yes to all those things that enable the Eucharist to come to me. That is what we celebrate and participate in. That is why we do not receive the Eucharist when we are not in communion with the Lord through serious mortal sin. We go to confession first. We reconcile ourselves to the covenant that we have established with God. Because when we receive the Eucharist, the Eucharist strengthens us in that covenantal communion. If I do not have that due to serious sin on my soul, I am professing a lie to the Lord. And this is something that we have to appreciate, we understand and we appreciate. Because there is a lot of confusion about who can and who cannot receive the Eucharist. This lack of understanding and appreciation of the Eucharist is not limited to just those of you sitting on this side of the pew, on the altar rather, in the pews. Throughout history, we have known of many priests and bishops who have faltered in their belief, in their understanding and their appreciation of this Eucharist truly being the body and blood of Christ. One of whom, in 1263, was the priest Peter of Prague. Peter of Prague, in 1263, doubted, did not really fully believe that the words he spoke really did anything to the bread and to the wine in which he had at the altar. And so it was going on pilgrimage to Rome to try to rekindle in him a belief, an understanding. But he didn't even think that going to Rome was going to do anything. And yet, faithful to his priesthood, he still celebrated Mass every day. And so right outside of the town of Orvieto in Italy, on this pilgrimage to Rome, he celebrated Mass. And after he said the words, this is my body, the host in his hand began to bleed, and the blood dripped onto the corporal, which is the cloth that is on the altar. And so, so, so shocked, so incredulous was he, that he could not even finish the Mass, but found out that the Pope himself, Urban IV, was in Orvieto. And so he went to the Pope in the neighboring town in order to share with him this miracle that occurred. And after the Pope investigated the miracle, he determined that it was valid, and to this very day in the Cathedral of Orvieto in Italy, you can go and you can you can adore this corporal with the blood of Jesus on it. Now we say, well, that's nice. That was, for, that was for Peter of Prague, the priest. But that had more reaching effects for you and me. Pope Urban IV was so transfixed by this Eucharistic miracle 
and it was so conscious of the lack of faith, even then, of belief in the Eucharist, that he dedicated this feast of Corpus Christi for the whole entire church to celebrate. So because of the doubt of Peter of Prague, that priest, we gather here 758 years later to celebrate this momentous reality. And in so preparing this new feast for the church, the Pope asked both St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor and prince of theologians, a Dominican, and St. Bonaventure, a Franciscan, to write the prayers and the music that is needed for this feast day. When they presented, to the, when they presented their prayers and their music to the Pope, Thomas Aquinas went first. And as Thomas Aquinas' music and prayers were being prayed, St. Bonaventure was so overwhelmed with the beauty and the, 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 the sacredness of the reality of what he put to words that he ripped up his on the spot and did not even share it with the Pope and said St. Thomas's is the only thing which is necessary. So the prayer, which the opening prayer I prayed, the closing prayer, the offertory prayer, the antiphons which we sing, all of those prayers, all of those things come to us from St. Thomas Aquinas. The sequence which we heard connects us 758 years to the past, connects us to 758 years into the future. It reminds us of the timelessness of, the, of what we do in the presence of the Lord and worshiping him through the Eucharist. St. John, John Paul II described the Eucharistic host as a celebration of an encounter with the heavenly realities. Because when we receive communion, my brothers and sisters, we receive communion with one and one body in Christ, of those who have gone before us, marked with the sign of faith, and experienced the joys of eternal life, our family and friends who have gone before us, whether it be family members or friends, spouses who have gone before us, you are never closer to a spouse you have lost than when you come to this Holy Mass and when you participate in this divine liturgy in which heaven and earth are united as one. It is a beautiful thing because not only are we connected to each other and connected to the past, but it's even better because God is timeless. There is no time in God. So we are connected to all those people who will be Catholic who we don't even know, who haven't even been born yet, thousands of years into the future even, possibly. How good is that? And as we approach the Eucharistic King for communion, we just uh, ritualize prayer, we just get up, we just follow the line, the body of Christ, amen, we go back to our seats. We don't contemplate, we don't think about, we don't have that amazement which we should have every single time we receive the Eucharist. I will close with this thought for you. I went to a Franciscan high school taught by the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn 
and in fact, I was also discerning possibly becoming the Franciscan brother in my early years of discernment. And we all know St. Francis is the animal lover. He's much more than an animal lover. Yes, he was an animal lover. Yes, because he loved creation, which God created. And back in the day of St. Francis of Assisi, it was not common for people to receive the Eucharist every day or even every week. Once a year, maybe, they would receive. And so St. Francis thought that this was an awful thing, that the people were not in the presence of the risen Lord in the Eucharist. So it is St. Francis of Assisi who developed and promoted Eucharistic adoration. Adoration and benediction, that all comes from St. Francis. So I'd like to close this morning with the words of St. Francis of Assisi with regards to his understanding of the Eucharist. It is one of the last letters that he, has that he wrote to his brothers as he knew that he would be going to the Lord soon and to encourage them into understanding and appreciating what is being left behind and what the Lord has truly given to us. Let everyone be struck with fear. Let the whole world tremble, and let the heavens exalt when Christ, the Son of the living God, is present on the altar in the hands of a priest. O oh, wonderful loftiness and stupendous dignity! O oh, sublime humility! O oh, humble sublimity! The Lord of the universe, God and the Son of God, so humbles himself that for our salvation he hides himself under an ordinary piece of bread. Brothers, look at the humility of God and pour out your hearts before him. Humble yourselves that you may be exalted by him. Hold nothing back of yourselves, for yourselves that he who gives himself totally to you, may receive you totally. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.